Hey everyone, welcome to episode 156 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. Lee, we got some bands. We we do, a lot of them actually. In like every format. And they just dropped all at once. Yes. No announcement warning. <sighs> it's so nice. Yeah. It great. really, really worked way better. Before we get too into that, I want to do our prelim stuff. I guess pretty much just plug in the Patreon, right? Like what else? Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. I've been distracting you the last couple of episodes. Yeah, I'm not so good at plugging it at the beginning of the episode, which is bad because like people stop listening at the end of the episode. Like I know I do. So uh, yeah, if we have a Patreon, um, if you want to join, head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. I have been catching up as best I can recently on the physical rewards to send out. So I've sent out a bunch of pins and tokens and some play mats and some hats and stuff. If you are owed some physical rewards and I have not sent it to you, you can go ahead and reach out and I will try to get that to you. If you have not become a patron and would like some, though, you know, please, uh, please join the Patreon. We are doing weekly hangouts. We are now doing a bonus episode for all patrons and we are brainstorming other sort of contenty things for the different tiers. Because with Collins gone, the coaching thing doesn't make as much sense anymore, but we're open to suggestions of what y'all would like to see and what would make you want to subscribe to the Patreon. And uh, yeah, so hit us up on, on Twitter or in the Discord if you're already a patron, if you have any ideas. And we are very open to the suggestion here. Yeah, for sure. But for now, we're definitely going with uh, all patrons can come hang out with us for our sort of weekly, just like chill steam game hangouts on discord yeah we got a few people playing monaco last week yeah that was fun which was an adventure trying to launch the game because it's quite old (laughs) yes it was uh (laughs) not very receptive to me having multiple screens on my computer which is very weird but once you got into it it was fun it was very fun I, i really enjoyed it yeah i have some ideas for other stuff that i'd like to try in the future yeah i'm down of course but this week we may just be playing magic because we got some new formats so a lot of new formats yeah i don't want to take too much time getting into that stuff because i listened to several podcasts this week and each one i was like come on get to the get to, get to the bands let's go let's get talk to the bands that. all right so so do you want to sum up what our bands that we saw were yeah so last yesterday monday yeah they just dropped at 10 30 right on the dot just a bunch, 10, 10 bands, I think, in total between the two, three formats. Yes. Yeah, because we've got like four in Standard, four in Pioneer, and two in Historic. Yeah, so in Standard, they banned Wilderness Reclamation, Growth Spiral, Teferi, Time Raveler, mm-hmm. and Cauldron Familiar. Can I just express my vindication for calling that Cauldron Familiar is a good card? No, you can't. And in Pioneer, <laughs> in Pioneer they banned Underworld Reach. Inverter of Truths, Walking Ballista, and Kethis the Hidden Hand. All four combos in Pioneer. The two good combos, the one combo that you can't play anymore, and the one combo that really, like, didn't get there for a long... Like, still hasn't gotten there. The one combo, the literal last update to the ban list made better. You're just like, nah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> had Kethis had, like, one challenge top 16 under its belt. No, and then it, it's just... won... It, it at least top aided one of the challenges. It may have won one of them as well. Sure. But it's got more than just one top 16. It was, <laughs> it's, it's like a fine deck. But compared to Underworld Breach, Inverter of Truth. <laughs> Inverter, the deck that's been terrorizing Pioneer for two-thirds of the format's existence. Slightly different categories of... Slightly different tiers of decks, I would say. <sighs> yeah. 
And then in Historic, we saw a couple of suspensions. Wilderness Reclamation and Teferi are both temporarily removed from that format. I assume that Wilderness Reclamation will be permanently removed. Probably. And I'll be interested to see if they end up doing anything to Teferi. Because a card in Historic... design. I mean, it is, right? It just, like, breaks so many rules of magic that doesn't need to be broken. Right. At a discount, to be honest. Like, you get paid in so much time when it comes down to draw the card. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with... And we'll talk specifically about formats and these impacts and stuff like that. But that's one of the problems with some of these fire designs in general. And, you know, Uro is the other card that springs to mind here. But, like, Teferi is good against almost everything. Yeah. Unless they played actual Scorch Spitter into, like, more one-drops. Like, Teferi is, like, fine to broken against everyone. And that's... Like, if you're going to be broken against a large swath of decks, the card probably should be kind of bad against at least some of the decks. Then, And that's that's the problem that I have with Uro, too, is it's literally great against... I've never... You just never bored Uro out. Oh, like, no. that's not a thing that you do. And there's pretty much no magic card should be such that you never you bored it out. Right. Yeah. I... The thing that sells to Fairy just being a, a really bad design to me is that even in matchups where it's like really bad, like mm-hmm. mono red, it has application. You you bounce their thing, which could buy you time. You get to draw a card. They might attack it, which gains you life. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they can't Emberclave you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what are your worst cards, pretty much, in that matchup? And it still does so many things. Well, it's not one of your worst cards in the matchup. It's just that's the matchup that. Oh yeah, that's the matchup it's bad. In. The worst in, yeah. and it's like fine. <laughs> <laughs> if they play an annex and you bounce it, you like, got, like that's really good. But you're not going to get to do that anymore. Timing of these bands is kind of funny. They waited until after the PT finals, and so we didn't get a major tournament with these standard bands. You know, we're got what is it? End of September is the Zendikar set. Yep. So the last week of September, like the last Thursday, it should release on Arena and rotate everything. Yeah, they released an article today about rotation Mm -hmm. in magic arena so you know we get about two months to sort of goof around with these cards but there are lots of online tournaments like this is a good thing to do yeah for sure it's just kind of too bad that they didn't do it earlier but you know it's still like oh no i punted last turn like but you can still make the right play this turn so or even in the same turn (laughs) yes 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 i have to convince myself a lot to like keep doing the right thing when my, even when my opponent knows. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk about first? Which format? Why don't we just go smallest format to biggest format? Nor- normal normal thing. Because like the standard bands are... I guess the Pioneer bands are probably even more impactful than yeah. the standard bands. But uh, standard is kind of the immediate like, oh my goodness, they did the thing we were asking for finally. Uh, yeah, were you expecting this at all? No, this was a huge surprise. I mean, certainly... Not expecting it because I'm used to the week's notice beforehand, so... Okay, let me ask a different question. Would you have expected an announcement of a ban list at any day? I was pretty confident that they were just going to let the standard rot until rotation happened. It just seemed like their MO for the stuff so far, so why would they change it after the big tournaments happened? Yeah, I kind of agree with that too. I was surprised and thankful that yeah. they just dropped a bunch of bands. I played a bunch of standard over the past couple of days. Nice. A lot of people have. It's yeah. a good format now. It's like pretty fun. There's stuff to explore. It's I haven't played it 
partially because I'm a little worried that it's everyone's got their new format goggles on. Oh, yeah. And just playing, like, a bunch of atrocious stuff. And I'm also, like, bronze and arena, sure. so I don't want to just play against whatever people are playing down there. Well, we can talk about sort of, I mean, number one, what decks get, like, killed by these bands, and then how we would think that shifts the format going forward, and then I can talk a little bit about what I've seen, but it has barely even been a full day since the band announcement has happened, so this certainly isn't where the format is going to end up. Mm. But, you know, we can at least talk about the theory of what's going to happen a little bit and then some amount of the practical applications we've seen yeah i think two of these cards dwarf the other two in respect to like format warping Mm -hmm. and that's teferi and growth spiral not reclamation sure i'll talk about growth spiral first because i think it's like second totem pole Mm -hmm. it's just the ubiquitous ramp card yeah that is never dead uh we saw it you know, last time this card was legal was Explore in World Wake. Mm-hmm. The games ended really fast in that format because there were a bunch of Titans that were legal. Yeah. yeah. So Explore got you. We didn't really. We knew Explore was good because everyone was playing it, but we, it was dwarfed by how good the Titans were because you got to six early and then your opponent just died in the next turn. Yeah. I remember the Valakid decks were like four Primeval Titans, four Inferno Titans, and you would just cast one and kind of hope it was Primeval Titan, but yeah. Inferno Titan was often good enough. Yeah, and there were other rug decks at the time where they just tried to Lotus Cobra Explore into any of the three Titans in their colors. Yes. And just go from there. And they just, Titans killed so fast. We didn't appreciate how good having a ramp spell that just was never dead was. Mm-hmm. And I think with this time, now that the format has, I don't want to say slowed down, but the win conditions are more tedious <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uro as incredibly powerful as it is and it's kind of a be- it's a better card than inferno titan certainly mm-hmm. it does not end the game like but at, it doesn't actually kill your opponent immediately yeah, it, it doesn't kind of close things out it doesn't literally end the game right the way inferno titan or Primeval titan does sometimes you still need to find one answer to their stuff once you have your uro in play but because your deck is full of like cantripping ramp cards that's not the hardest thing to do. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just... The combination of Uro Growth Spiral is obviously really, really good. But yeah. even before Uro was printed, we kept seeing a bunch of Growth Spiral decks turboing out like Nissa, And even if you draw it late, it always cantrips. Mm-hmm. So it was just a really big part of the format for ever since Ravnica Allegiance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just we knew it was going to be good and it locked that color combination as like a huge amount of decks in the format just start out you are blue green mm-hmm. and add the things you want from there but here's the core that you have to start with it, it helped that hydroid crisis was in the same set mm-hmm. which was just a very clear after the first weekend a very clear payoff yeah that oh hydro crisis is really good we'll just ramp into it <laughs> yeah it, it, that that turned out to be an okay one. Um, Hydrocrasis kind of outmoded for a little while because of the powerful stuff that was happening, and in particular because Wilderness Reclamation decks don't really want Hydrocrasis, and Hydrocrasis isn't that good against Wilderness Reclamation decks. Right. But now we are kind of back in a world where Hydrocrasis may be one of the better things you can be doing. And that's... I, I long for the days where we can go back to just a simple 6-6 <laughs> six, six flyer that drew three cards killing me. Well... <laughs> See, the thing about that is that Nissa often just vampiric tutors the Hydrocrisis to the top of the 
Nissa player's library. So these hydrate crises that I've seen are quite a bit larger than six sixes a lot of the time. Oh, well, they'll kill me quick at least. Yeah. They will kill you quick. Also, these for these decks have a lot of forests in them because the triumphs are forests. Yes. So Nissa is, you know, now that she's not being like embarrassed by the instant speed decks, Nissa is really powerful again. I think. Mm-hmm. I let's let's talk about the ban of wilderness reclamation because that one's just a really clear. Yeah. This pillar doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Kind of like kind of like the fires decks. Mm-hmm. It was really cut and dry. The you just can't make double, triple, quadruple your mana every turn and have that be okay. Yep. It's just pretty clear that that is not acceptable. The templating of Wilderness Reclamation is one that we had never seen before, and it turns out that it's really powerful to get to use your lands multiple times on the same turn. I I thought this card would have been banned like around War of the Spark when Nexus of Fate was really good, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't because Kethis came out and kind of dwarfed that deck. Mm-hmm. And then for a while, for like the next set or something, like we got took over by Oko, Wilderness Reclamation didn't show up that much. Yeah. And then once Theros Beyond Death came out, it was very clear you just like couldn't compete with anything Wilderness Reclamation was doing. Right, right. It, it is kind of funny that the modern decks are not super making use of the, like they're actually just using it to like untap your lands, like kind of the intended use mm-hmm. to like do stuff on your turn and then pass your turn with your mana up. I, I really like the the modern rec decks a lot more than the standard rec decks they're also usually only playing like two reclamations right they're not they're not trying to be they don't have four explosions in them right yeah yeah but in standard the power level of this thing was clearly too high well over half of the pt field half of the top eight like just had had a very high win percentage despite being heavily played i look through a lot of deck lists and i just stopped looking through standard deck lists because i would have to scroll past 11 We'll, uh, team yeah. or rec decks in the top 16 yeah i'm like i don't i've lost the will to click on these to see what people are playing because it's all the same 88 to 85 cards yeah i mean there was some amount of you know there was oh you can play the four color version like Ooh. and it just it just became very boring to me after a while i mean once we get to the point where we did it with oko too once we get to the point where there's a, de- a base version of a deck and then the secondary version that just like adds a color to prey on the primary version. Yeah. Something is wrong. Yeah. You have to stop. Your format's just not good anymore. And you can't just have these like two deck ecosystems that are like preying on each other. Well, and especially not when they're kind of doing when they're doing fundamentally the same yeah, thing. Yeah, they're doing exactly the same thing. Like from the perspective of the non-reclamation decks in the format, it's like you fight them in the same way and it's not an exciting like it's Ooh, will I get the one with white or will I get the one without white? Like, yeah, the one with white also has definite clarion in it. Like, okay. So, but enough, you know, they, they fixed it. So we don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, they also got rid of cauldron familiar. I, this one was weird to me. Mm-hmm. I, if I was going to ban the sacrifice deck from existing, I would have probably been mayhem devil instead of cauldron familiar. Yeah. Just because... I don't. I don't know. Like Mayhem Devil's about to rotate. The sacrifice deck is really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I really liked the play patterns of, like, my limited cards are good. My Cauldron Familiar, my Witch's Oven, and then I have, uh, what's the threaten called? 
it's claim the first claim born. the firstborn yeah. yeah i like claim the firstborn with ostrider or your oven mm-hmm. and you like have its cool synergy yeah but the deck really only felt out of hand when they got to play mayhem devil or two mayhem devils sure and just go off and it didn't matter what your board looked like to that point well it's definitely a little out of hand with corvald as well Sure, sure. Which is a card that I don't like being in standard for different reasons. Yes. But... <laughs> are there non-foil versions of that card? Yes, those there exist? are. They're in collector boosters. They're in collector boosters. Okay. I can't keep track of where stuff comes from anymore. Well, the easy way to tell is that all the non-foil cards, the ones I want, are always in collector boosters, yeah. a product I will never buy. <laughs> sure. How much are collector boosters? A lot of money? Oh, I don't know. I've never looked into it. Okay. Great. <laughs> It's probably somewhere between 15 to $30, and I'm not interested. The fancy versions of the double Masters boosters are like $100 a piece, right? Yeah, and those come with like 30 cards or something crazy like that. Well, I don't... double. Yeah, double. It's, Ooh, it's I didn't actually packs. make that connection until now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's also the way double Masters, I don't know if you know this, mm-hmm. the way double Masters promos work, the foil ones are in the VIP boosters, and mm-hmm. there are no non-foil okay things in there gotcha or non-foil um box toppers whatever they're called and all the non-foil ones are in the boxes as like box toppers oh wow i have no desire to get the vip boosters yeah you can never open a foil box topper in a box and you can never open a non-foil box topper in a vip booster interesting but the way that the booster boxes keep up with the undesirability of the foil box toppers in the packs is sometimes the card just sort of like flips down in between the booster packs and the side of the box oh yeah they're not like packaged very well bent at a 90 degree angle so you know you're you're not getting the greatest deal in the world no matter how you go there <sighs> no so for standard i have been playing quite a bit of it actually mm-hmm. i've been enjoying it i think it is pretty clear that uro is head and shoulders above the rest of the cards in the format at this point yep it just you know now it's the only explorer that you can play (laughs) and it is a little bit weakened by no grow spiral in the same deck because grow spiral is so good with uro Mm -hmm. but it shuts down a lot of what other people are doing against you it ramps better than pretty much any of the other stuff in the format and it just provides this recurring source of card advantage that kind of nothing can keep up with i've you know, a lot of people are playing Adventures right now. That was the sort of like, ooh, I wonder if Adventures is great now because Wilderness Reclamation was very good against the Adventure decks and it's gone. Mayhem Devil was very good against the... It's extremely good. You just never beat a resolved you never Mayhem Devil. never beat a resolved Mayhem Devil. But now you don't have to worry about that. And so I think Teamer Adventures is okay. But I've had games where my opponent's board is like Lovestruck Beast, Lovestruck Beast, Bonecrusher Giant, and I just put an Uro into play. And they untap and they just scoop. Like, they have all this stuff on the board and it just doesn't matter. The only thing I'm scared of from my Uro decks is if they have a good Lucky Clover Beanstalk Giant draw. It's like the only good plan that they actually have. Their creatures are kind of nonsense. Yeah, I would be interested. I'll play that deck eventually for sure. Mm -hmm. But I would be very interested to know how the adventures players can't just beat uro because there's a lot of tools in the sideboard and that's obviously the scariest card in the format yeah i mean so the way that i have been beating the adventures decks is either they don't draw a bunch of lucky clovers or i draw some removal for the lucky clovers like lucky clover is the only card that really matters out of their deck the rest of the cards just kind of don't 
Well, there's a bunch of ramp in that deck, like a bunch of ramp. They they play 27, 28 lands with it, with Escape the Wilds and all the Beanstalk Giants. Yeah. So it's really easy to just Fey of Wishes without a Clover and grab Ugin or something like that. I mean, so the the deck that I've been playing the most of, mm-hmm. but I've so I've been playing like two decks, uh, like a sort of Simic ramp deck with Uro that is just like full on Nissas and Hydra Crises is kind of the plan there. This was originally a Yeoman 5 list, and one of the things that it has going for it is it's also got a bunch of questing beasts in there. So sure. it's very good against the other Planeswalker decks because you have so many haste threats and also Ugins. But So their Ugins aren't so good against you because you have so many ways to finish off Ugin mm-hmm. in response. And I've also been playing this sort of teamer controlling deck that I've seen some of, but you're playing like actual red removal, a bunch of Teferis and Uros and just kind of controlish cards and you actually kind of kill them back relatively quickly and one of the threats that you have is you land an early teferi control the game a little bit and then you're like threatening a double time walk mm. and your other things are threatening to them as well so like certainly wishing for an ugin can be very good but i never really gave my opponent enough time to do that it felt like okay i is that the teamer deck you were talking about do you play niv in that? I've seen a lot of niv Yeah. Perrin. I'm not, I'm not confident that it's the way to go. I think you might just actually want Ugins in that slot for your giant thing. Yeah. Because, like, niv really costs seven or eight mana. Yeah, you can't ever play it on turn six. I mean, you do, and sometimes you just cross your fingers and get there, but it's not it's not what you're aiming for, yeah. certainly. Especially with Elspeth Conquers F being part of the game again. Right. And I kind of like my giant thing, do not get hit by Ether Gust. So true. I have subbed one of the Niv Mizzets for an Ugin, and I kind of want to sub more because the Ugin, the Ugin has been really good when I've drawn it. And the Niv Mizzets have been fine, but most of the time an Ugin would also be pretty good. So <laughs> I one of the things Teferi being banned has done for the format is you really get to play creatures that cost more than three mana. Yes. And counter spells. Yes. Both of those are, like, opened back up, for sure. I, a lot of people, have, I've seen a lot of people play Arclight Phoenix decks, mm-hmm. which I don't think really can compete with the rest of the format. I don't think Especially so. Uro. But it is neat that you can just play Finale of Promise again and not just have Teferi turn it off by accident. This is one of the worst <laughs> parts about Teferi was just that it turned off a bunch of stuff that it, it wasn't even, like, stuff that's getting cast on your opponent's turn. It was just stuff that just doesn't, Cascade doesn't work. Finale of Promise has no text. Like, that's not what the card was supposed to do, and it felt really bad that that's what it was doing. Yeah, one of my recent paper... Recent, as in a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Judge Calls was like Teferi with Finale of Promise back before... It must have been early War of the Spark. And my opponent just cast it for four mana or five mana. Mm -hmm. Targeted his two spells. I'm like, that's fine. But you don't get anything. Yeah. (laughs) And then we had a long judge call. And my opponent just like kind of refused to believe that Teferi could do that. Because it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I Like, I get it. If you... It's just not an intuitive thing. Like, why does my card just not work because of a Teferi in play? It's, It's lame. Yeah. That's like the worst part of Teferi to me. I agree. In addition to all the other bad parts of teferi there's a lot of other bad parts (laughs) but i'm always against when cards don't really work the way they intuitively should the way most people would expect them to Mm -hmm. that's usually just a sign of bad card design casey i was like that too yeah yeah 
I'm trying to think. There were a couple other like recent examples of that that were just like mind-boggling to players, or that like players just assumed they didn't work the way they did. I mean, one bad card design is the like forgetting about it because it's like basically I'm talking about Narset, mm-hmm. like Narset or Ashiok. Yeah, Narset or Ashiok. Just like it's not the main part of the card, sort of. It's not the focus of the card itself, and so then you run into it and just like cast your opt, and then your opponent like stops you, and you're like. Damn it! <laughs> I the Ashok where Ashok's in play. It has so much text on it. Mm-hmm. You get to mill either player, and right. it always exiles their graveyard. <laughs> and then they'll crack a fetch land, and you'll just forget about it because it's not what you played Ashok for, right? Especially in standard when it's just like Fable Passage or something. Yeah, Fable Passage is the. I have definitely had a bunch of Fable Passages that I just forget to crack in response to Ashok. That's a thing that I have done, and I've seen so many games in paper where a. First Fable Passage just goes through fine. Mm-hmm. And then on the second Fable Passage, one of the players realizes it. Yeah. And then they realize the first Fable Passage shouldn't have gone through. <laughs> and it's way too late to fix it. Yeah, and it's just, oh, this is uh, just a feel-bad for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those War of the Spark static ability points. The, the ones that give you something are, like, fine. The ones that are prison cards for your opponent are not fine designs. Uh, yeah, I don't like them. I like Sarkin. Sarkin's a cool one. Sarkin, Domri, yeah. those are like the good ones. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely some good designs in that pack. And the ones that, you know, at least nobody forgets what Nyssa is doing. Nope. Really hard to. <laughs> That's the main text of the card. Right, right. Which, yeah, it took a, a week or two to really figure that out. And it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is what this card is doing. Oh my goodness. So the format right now, I've seen a lot of Nissas get cast in Standard right now. Yeah, it, it used to be one of the best cards, and now it's just there again. Yep, yep. And, like, one of the play patterns that this Standard at this exact moment is defined by is, like, the Nissa untap a land casualties of war you on the same turn play. Which, it feels like that should not be a thing that you're allowed to do. And Casualties of War is... I, I've run into a lot of this Sultai ramp deck, and it is just not... It it just doesn't believe that people ever cast a creature before turn three. I hate these Sultai piles. I know a lot of people really like playing them. Yeah. But outside of Nyssa, you're just playing the clunkiest deck imaginable, and Casualties of War is so easy to deal with, and it's always the card people point to as, like, the way to catch back up, which, on its face value, being able to catch up with a six-mana card is hopeful at best. Right. Yeah, when that get when you don't have a Nissa in play, and you're like, here's my casualties, and they're like, Aether Gust it. Aether Gust it, or I have a counterspell now, because I'm allowed to play those. Here's yeah. an Absorb you haven't seen in six months. I actually, I think Disdainful Stroke is really good right now. Counters Ugin, counters Teferi... Yeah, the Teferi that's left. Yeah, yeah. And, right, counters Nissa's and counters Casualties of War. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of times where that's the card that if I had it in my hand, I would have felt safe. Like, Aether Gust doesn't keep you safe if they could have an Ugin. But Disdainful Stroke catches a lot of the things that they can do to you. Uh, but, yeah, this this Sultai deck that I've run into, and I've run into different versions, but we were talking about it earlier. I just, like, ran into one where my opponent... My opponent's first spell is Tamiyo, and it flips, like, 
multiple fi- different fives into the graveyard. It flips like a Nissa and a Cavalier of Thorns, and then they cast a Cavalier, and then they flip more different expensive stuff, like a Casualties. And like the cheapest spell I saw out of their deck was Narset, which doesn't even affect the board. <laughs> but because I was playing like a, a control kind of deck that had removal in it in order to take into account the fact that Runaway Steamkin is still allowed to be played. Uh, you were foolish enough to play removal in consideration of the larger metagame. Yes. Um, so I got housed by that deck several times. It is pretty unbeatable for the, like, teamer deck with actual shock in it. It's it's odd. It's a hard time unless you're... I mean, there's some, like, sideboard modifications that you could probably make to give you more game, but generally, like, they just have more gigantic stuff. Yeah, if that's all they fill their deck with, they're just going to yeah. beat up on people who are actually respecting aggressive decks. Right, and I've, I've run into aggressive decks. Like, Mono Red is seeing some play. I think that generally... Like, it certainly hasn't been scary for me, but I'm playing Shock sure. and Ur- Shock and Uro. Imagine if you were playing a Sultai deck. Yeah, it would it would definitely be scary for the Sultai deck. Um, Uro... You know, maybe the Sultai deck has, like, ten removal spells in the sideboard or something like that. And then if you have a bunch of removal spells and Uro, like, you're pretty fine, potentially. Um, And, like, Uro definitely does a good job of making red not necessarily the aggressive deck that you want to be in. Um, But this Mardu Winota deck, I think, is still playable to good. Yeah, I think Mono Red, Mono Black, and the Mardu Winota, or just any Winota deck you can build right now, to be honest. Yeah. Because everyone's kind of skimping on, I haven't seen Deafening Clarion in quite a while. No, no, definitely not. No one's playing them. They're mostly on Teamer decks or Sultai decks, and their sweepers are almost non-existent. Yeah, I just don't really know how you play Deafening, like what color combination are you at that point? Are you giving up Uro in your removal deck? I don't know, because you can't play Teferi anymore. Right. (laughs) That was the main reason to play white before. Yeah. So... Like, I'm not going to play a, a deck with removal spells that is slow and reactive that doesn't have Uro in it. Like, that sounds atrocious to me. Yeah. So you'd have to be four colors, I think. Like, you can't be Jeskai. What's your what's your late game? What's your payoff? I, I don't know. The only thing I think of is Shark Typhoon and Zenith Flare, but I don't even think there's a Cyclers standard for that to be relevant. <laughs> you don't. It's not like the Pioneer deck where you get to play Hieroglyphic Elimination. Oh, yeah. That deck is kind of sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. Yeah. But, I mean, this is standard. You don't get to do that. You just have to play Uro. It's the best end game of the format. Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm hesitant to be very friends with standard. Mm-hmm. Because I I think Ugin the Spirit Dragon is a really poor card to print into standard. <laughs> because it's always the best top end yeah. that you can ever do. Mm-hmm. And it's just a sweeper that eventually kills your opponent. Mm-hmm regardless of everything that's happening and any deck can play it because it's colorless right and you just go from there but it's got a trade-off where it costs a lot of mana Mm -hmm. which is fine nissa will eventually rotate and ugin will still be here for a while but ugin's not the best late game really uro is yeah and because it, it costs so little to put it in your deck and it insulates you from all aspects of interaction like it gains life it draws cards Mm -hmm. slices it dices it it does everything (laughs) i've also played against the doom foretold deck like the ephro pt deck oh the orion yeah yeah and that that deck is better now i think i mean certainly the fact that you don't have to play against wilderness reclamation decks with it is good for it 
And generally, if people are playing Planeswalkers and Uro, like, it's designed to beat those decks. You have a bunch of Kayas and you have Doom Foretolds. It has cool interactions against Nissa where they can't sacrifice the land. Right, yeah. It's still a land. It's still a land, so you have to sacrifice the Nissa to the Doom Foretold, yes. Doom Foretold is excellent at taking out the Planeswalkers. And even if you're trying to play, like, a grindy Uro game, like, Kaya's really good at stopping that. And if you trade resources some, like, Treacherous Blessing is really good at making up for those resources so that deck is is pretty solid against the uro piles in general i think (laughs) and so that may be a place to look if you're into it i wish that there was a better thing to do than playing a bunch of ravenous rats yeah me too (laughs) but it's not like we get to play with cards like trial of ambition printed in the standard that often yeah you're just Kind of grasping at whatever you can use with your yeah. permanence, you can sacrifice the Doom Foretold. Right. And Ravenous Rat, or what, Burglar Rat, I guess it's called now? Burglar Rat, yeah. It, it's just better than the old versions that used to play Golden Egg, because at least it can block. Yeah. The the big weakness... I mean, sometimes, like, Uro just grinds out more value than the Doom Foretold yeah, Foretold that can keep up with. And also, like, Ugin is just really good against that deck. The all-colored permanence deck? Yes. Shocking. Where you have to have a bunch of permanents in play for your stuff to do anything, and Ugin just comes down and ruins those plans a lot. So I kind of am interested in figuring out, like, what is the most focused Ugin deck that you can possibly make that's just, like, I don't know if it's, like, a bunch of Cultivates and Nissas, or what's the way to get there so that you get to Ugin the most often? But uh, Ugin has certainly been really impressive to me. I I agree. I, I think Ugin's great. But I my approach would be to find the best Uro deck, and Ugin will just naturally fit into that. And Uro gives you insulation against aggressive things. Yeah, I, I just feel like Uro is the natural target for everything, right? Like, Kai is not a playable magic card except that except it gets our own yeah exactly and so i I think that probably we will see a bunch of kayas and we'll see main deck scavenging oozes and that sort of thing so not that that makes uro bad because you still just (laughs) get to cast it as an explore gain three but if you're relying on it and they get it it actually can be a little painful before we move on to pioneer i also want to say that i have seen a lot of teamer elementals pop Mm. up and that deck looks pretty cool too (laughs) It's just a well-oiled engine deck with Risen Reef. Sure. With all the elementals you're used to seeing. And you get to play Terror of the Peaks, which I think is a huge winner from Teferi no longer being in the format. Oh, for sure. Because that's a really good rate creature. It's a 5-4 flyer with a Pandemonium stapled onto it. Mm -hmm. And your opponent has to bolt themselves if they want to target it with a spell. Yeah. It still is weak to Elspeth Conqueror's death. There seems to be a lot less Elspeth Conqueror's death in the form. You're less incentivized to play white without Teferi around. And just, I'm not sure what deck you're supposed to put Elspeth Conqueror's Death into anymore. Like, Bant mm-hmm. is just not attractive without Teferi. Right. And one of the cool things I really like about Terror of the Peaks in the Elementals deck is that you get, if you have a Terror of the Peaks in play, you can play Uro on the front side and mm-hmm. you get to six something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really hard. And it's nice. It's, it's very good. Um, yeah, actually, the first time that I got Elspeth Conqueror's Death, like, all of yesterday and today was the doom foretold deck because I, I had like forgotten about it i just like played it to fairy and i was like they can't really punish this right and then they just like played their fifth line and played elspeth conquers death and I, was like, uh, oh, I forgot right. about that card that's really good against me <laughs> it exists that's right but i don't think white is that playable of a color mostly yeah 
the, the its best card was just banned, and it was almost pro- entirely propping up the color. Like Winota makes white decks playable because it's also a cheaty mana engine, mm-hmm. but it's it's not a real white card, <laughs> right? That deck is a pretty white deck. Oh yeah, though. it's an aggressive deck. Yeah, like you. Well, <laughs> or what do you mean? So I mean, it, it has a lot of white cards that are like very white designs like oh uh, like raise the alarm like raise the alarm like the dog selfless uh savior selfless savior the legendary humans are very white even though they're yeah. multicolored but like tajik and and general kudra are very like white leaning designs mm-hmm. and venerated loxodon of course is the premier white card to be honest <laughs> i mean well <laughs> although it is just verderous gear hulk but kind of better so spicy verderous gear hulk. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so it's it's weird because the deck, like, it can kill you, but it usually, like, plays a couple of tap lands on turn one and, like, three. Yeah, it's Savai Triome on turn three. Yeah. Oh, guess Winota's coming next turn. It's got, like, three or four temples in it, too, but, like, the mana just kind of doesn't work because you, you're, it's so color-intensive. When rotation happens, these dual lands better come into play untapped because losing shock lands is going to <sighs> set the format back so much. God, I know. And, I mean, is it going to be a full cycle of ten? Probably not. It's six. It's... There are exactly six dual lands. Not five. I don't know what that means, Not then. ten. Six. That's I have no idea either. Really confusing. But they're from... It's a new dual land cycle. It's not any reprints or anything like that. Okay. Well, I'd, I can't imagine they're going to make a new dual land cycle that is lands that just come into play tapped and something else. Like, there has to be some mechanic for getting them untapped hopefully early yes because aggressive decks really need i i'm of the opinion that shocklands should just be evergreen in, in standard, standard yeah because they're the most balanced land mm-hmm. they're very good obviously yeah and maybe you don't always want them legal because of like check land interactions but shock checks are just a good fine thing to exist mm-hmm. every time they've been standard standard has been fine yeah I, yeah i like them i like that you know, the cost for the controlling decks is a little higher to cast your spells early than it is for the aggressive decks, and aggressive decks need all the help they can get right now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You you want aggressive decks to have natural advantages rather than the control decks, mm-hmm. just because if they, they play later into the game, so mm-hmm. they're always going to get their mana. Right. Whereas the aggressive decks really need to establish themselves early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, should we move on to Pioneer? Let's let's do historic first. Oh yeah, so I get right. some lead in time. I kind of forgot about historic a little bit too. Um, yeah, so historic wilderness reclamation got suspended. Teferi got suspended. You know the progression of the format in recent couple of weeks was Muxus got printed. Goblins got really good. People started playing wilderness reclamation field of the dead decks that were very good against the goblins decks. Mm-hmm. And then we had the open weekend where we kind of saw like a little bit of everything happening. It seemed like. Yeah. Like, I, I saw, you know, LSV posted, like, just 7 0 day one with Goblins, which I was kind of thinking, like, maybe Goblins gets completely pushed out because Wilderness Reclamation is so good. But people were playing various other aggressive decks, including Rakdos Sacrifice, and uh, there seemed to be a, a fair amount of options. Yeah, there was a lot of different decks people ended up playing. Uh, there were also some combo decks that were emerging to beat up on the Rec decks and the Goblin decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, notably, the Is It Breach deck? Yeah. Which came out. I don't remember who ended up designing it, but I know Andrew Jessup posted about it. Right. Uh, and 
Kethis as well was another option. Yeah, pretty, pretty fundamentally similar. Mox Amber decks. Yeah, Mox Amber and Diligent Excavator combo decks. Yeah. The suspensions to... Well, I want to talk about the open real quick, because I actually did play in this one. Okay. So I wasn't initially going to, because I do not like playing best of one at all. I, it's horrible. Sure. <laughs> but I finished everything I needed to do on Saturday. Might as well. And I was just like kind of lying down, scrolling through Twitter, and I saw uh, Simon Nielsen, I think, or Gordson, just, all right, 7-2'd with this Is It Breach deck, don't... Just kind of picked it up on a whim. Don't play this unless you're a degenerate. <laughs> well, and, and I said, all right, I've got nothing else going on. <laughs> and I happen to be a degenerate. Oh, yeah, absolutely so. degenerate. So I logged on to Magic Arena and put together the deck. Luckily, I owned all of the cards already. Mm-hmm. Not super surprising. Except for like Aether, Spellbomb, which right. were common. Pretty craftable, so, yeah. yeah. Although we have not talked about the problems of historic card availability arena card availability in general is very very bad it is but in particular in historic it's extraordinarily bad because you can't buy packs of jumpstart and you cannot buy the anthologies so you kind of have to craft everything with wild cards and it's really expensive to do that and you can't just be like okay i want to play historic i want a bunch of i know i want a bunch of the jumpstart cards like i'll spend $100 on Jumpstart and whatever I open. Like, you just literally can't do that. I was really embarrassed when PV posted on Twitter, hey, how do I acquire historic cards? I want to play the Open this weekend. You know, a member of the MPL. Yeah. And a lot of people said, oh, it's fine. Just buy the historic anthologies in the store. They have some of the cards, and you'll just have to craft the Jumpstart cards because you can't buy those. Yeah. And then those people got responses saying they removed the historic anthologies from the shop several weeks ago. Why? Just... What an insane thing to do. So now PV's option, after not being able to buy the anthologies, not having enough wild cards because, you know, just use them mm-hmm. and can't buy jumpstart packs. His only option was to just buy a bunch of packs to get wild cards and you can't buy jumpstart packs. <laughs> you can't buy packs that contain cards from the anthologies. So you're just buying a random standard legal pack. Right, which you may have all of the cards in the, you know, if you just own standard because you've been playing and you you know whatever like then you're just getting a bunch of packs that just give you 20 gems back after costing 100 gems like yeah. that's a that's mostly what you're doing at that point just like paying an 80 percent rake to get some wild cards it's it's truly awful especially if you need mythics that were in an anthology i, I the only one i can think of right now is Uge, or ulamog mm-hmm. which is not really played anywhere but if you did, for some reason, need Ulamogs, mm-hmm. that means you need to open 18 packs per Mythic wildcard. <laughs> so you're looking at, you know, quite a few packs. Is that is that it? Is it only three tracks? I thought it was more than that for some reason. You get, but... si- so every, you get, you fill up a ring. Right. Or, or a notch in a ring. Yeah. And every six, you get a wildcard. Right. And every. It goes three, rare, rare, mythic. Yeah, rare, rare, mythic, okay. rare, rare, mythic, rare, okay. rare, mythic. So you're looking at. <laughs> minimum of 18 packs before you get your first guaranteed mythic wild card you might get lucky and like randomly generate some mythic wild cards yeah but it's not guaranteed so you can't count on it sure and you can't get lucky and open an ulamog because you're not opening the packs of the set with ulamog yeah battle it. for zendikar is not on the program right um yeah so that's not great but anyway i had all the cards i needed that's good because they were all commons because i was playing a combo deck <laughs> because again degenerate uh, I had not played any games of practice with this, but it was honestly a pretty easy deck to pilot. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I load into my first match. Arena immediately crashes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about walking away and just, all right, I spent my gold. I don't want to do this. Legit. But I said, nope, I will tough it out just so I have a story on the podcast. <laughs> so I got back. I'd lost the, the first round because you, I, it took too long to connect. I couldn't oh get God. back into my game. Uh-huh. And it's only a best of one, so it's not like I you compete can, in the sideboarding games. Yeah. I just lost. You I just lost lose. match one. Yep. So I'm 0-1, have to go 7-2 to win. If you get three losses, you're out. Mm-hmm. So I play against Mono Green. I win the die roll very easily. <laughs> <laughs> and my opponent just gets me to exactly one life before I kill him. So they probably would have won if they had won the die roll. If they won the die roll, they win. Sure. Great, whatever. This is what we signed up for. Yep. So I play again. I play against Rakdos Sacrifice back-to-back. So the next two matches are all Rakdos, are both Rakdos Sacrifice, mm-hmm. which actually seems like a pretty tough matchup because I lost the die roll on both of these, which may be a contributing factor, but my opponent played turn two Priest of the Forgotten Gods, mm-hmm. and it was very difficult to go off through that because I couldn't place Healy to, oh, okay. to have... The way the combo works is that you need a Diligent Excavator or an Emery in play. Mm-hmm. In order to mill your deck to win with Asa's Oracle. Yeah. So if they play a turn two Priest of the Forgotten Gods, you can't play the Excavator early because it just dies. And then you can't fill up your graveyard. You can't do anything. So you have to hold on to it. But they're also an aggressive deck. So Teferi doesn't really work to solve the... Well, I wasn't playing Teferi because I was playing as. Oh, right, right. Okay. But yeah, Teferi wouldn't do anything even if I was playing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Planeswalker I did have access to was Sahili, Sublime, Sublime Artificer. Mm-hmm. Which does have insulation against Priest of the Forgotten Gods. But because I'm playing so few creatures, every time I played Sahili, I would have to follow it up with an artifact, which would then attack through... They'd just attack all the creatures that were priest into Sahili. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have the Sahili in play because you want to copy a Diligent Excavator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could either trump with this Servo or let Sahili die. I would just have to let Sahili die. And then they could claim the Firstborn or get kill my Servo, and then I'd be in the same spot. Sure. And if I didn't have an excavator and I had to wait for Emery, I was kind of in the same spot there because you can activate Priest of Forgotten Gods instant speed. Mm-hmm. So that was a really rough matchup. I don't know how it changes when I'm on the play or my opponent doesn't have Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Yeah. Never got to see it because I only played two matches against it. Right. I lost both of them. Well, I actually did play a match. I went 2-3 because mm-hmm. I played against Wilderness Reclamation. Which I also lost the die roll against. <laughs> yeah, but that's a pretty good matchup. They just didn't do anything. They just ramped, and I just killed them. <laughs> yeah, you're not afraid of two two zombies from Field of the Dead. Like those aren't those were not fast enough. And, no, they, yeah. their whole because again, best of one. They just played a growth spiral, then played an Uro, and I'm like, oh, they're really doing it. And they put some lands into play with Field of the Dead, got some zombies, and they lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you can't sideboard, so you can't tailor your interaction for the thing that you're playing against. Yeah, they tapped out. They had no counter magic. And my, I just had no permanents in play other than lands. I had like a Sacred Foundry, a Steam Vents, <laughs> and something else. And it was over. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. But I don't really want to... I didn't really want to play Best of One, so I didn't play that. I also, like, didn't really want to... I knew that I had stuff to do on Sunday and didn't want to dedicate a bunch of time to playing through the second day, so it didn't make a lot of sense for me to try to queue the first day. I will also say that I only... I I was only ever going to play one time. Yeah. Because I did not want to spend a bunch of money trying to qualify for a tournament I really didn't care too much about. It was funny to me how all of Magic Twitter, like, simultaneously 
decided that it was called they were called bullets like oh yeah i love that i don't really know how that <laughs> happened but it became like that's just what it was every every try is a bullet yeah you, you've got x number of bullets in your chamber yeah and you just got to figure out the size of your chamber before you play the event. You don't want to reload. I don't think that's quite the right terminology. <laughs> you only have one bullet in the chamber at a time. But I, I, I know what you're saying. And I only had one bullet. Yeah. And I missed my shot. I had bullets available to me, but I elected to, you know, take the... the what is the passive piece? Yeah, definitely, the definitely the path, the path of peace. Yes, <laughs> I, I decided discretion was the better part of valor and and didn't engage. Um, but now, historic, no wilderness reclamation, no Teferi. Teferi wasn't like super tearing up the format, but I, I'm fine with it being suspended because I don't really want to play with or against it that badly. And with wilderness reclamation gone, that definitely is the primary predator of the goblins decks. Mm-hmm. So they're is going to need to be steps taken to beat goblins because I don't think there's another deck that naturally preys on them the way that like, Oh, this deck is very easy to fit in exactly the magma quakes and some counter magic that is good against goblins. And they'll never beat you pretty much if your draw is halfway competent with like a good enough game plan against the rest of the form. Right. A good proactive game plan. Like, it's hard to fit those cards into a not Wilderness Reclamation Expansion Explosion or whatever deck. Yeah, like, yeah that's going to be tough. Mostly because I, I I don't know how much Historic matters right now. Mm-hmm. People really, really like Standard because of the bands. And I think Watsy's just going to ignore completely the existence of Historic until Amonkhet rolls out. And yep. then maybe that'll that's change up soon, the format. That's soon, though. That's a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's like three weeks from now, two weeks from now. Yeah, I think it's like two weeks, yeah. They, they're going to be previews of Amonkhet Remastered, apparently. Really? I don't understand why. That's got to be like a social media business thing, because it's so guarded. I already know it's in the sets. Yes, we played them for forever. Yeah, for two years straight. Like, not that long ago. No, it was, like, three years? Nobody's going to be like, ooh, Glorybringer. I'm I mean, glad I, w- I will be. I mean, but... I'll be glad to play with Glorybringer. I love Glorybringer. But it's not going to be like... Guess, oh my god, they put Glorybringer. Like, obviously, that's one of the three cards you think of when you think of Amonkhet. We're not gonna look at the Scarab God and dismiss it, because it has way too much text on it and cares about zombies for some reason. Because that was the first thing I thought of when they previewed that card the first time. Yeah, we didn't... <laughs> we didn't realize. We didn't get that one right. No. <laughs> but we, we know. We know the cards. We know all the stuff. Just... Whatever. Just release it. Just release it. Like yeah. you did the ban announcement. And they did do the thing where it is one pack... And it's like 300-something cards, so a bunch of cards did not make it. So some of your weird combo enabler things might not be in the set. I, I figured that would be the case, though. So that, that was just what I had assumed would happen. Yeah. And I'm mostly fine with that. I think it's going to make the draft format really unusual. Because I think Wizard spends a lot of time trying to figure out these remastered draft formats that people play for less than a month. Mm-hmm. And then you have to deal with the economy for the rest of the existence of Arena. It's yeah. so short-sighted. Yep, I I agree completely. I don't really understand why you wouldn't have... Like, why not just release Amonkhet an hour and have us play that draft format? Or, yeah, we do that. Or release, like, box sets in the store. You can just buy for a bunch of gold if you want the whole set. Like, the thing that really bums me out, too, is that... Hour of Devastation draft was very fun. It's really good. Yeah. Like, it's 
it, it gets overshadowed in recent memory by like Dominaria Limited, but other than like it is an excellent draft format that mm-hmm. I, I had a ton of fun playing over and over again. And I did not enjoy Triple Amonkhet. No, Triple Amonkhet was pretty bad. It was a stark contrast between Double Hour and Triple Amonkhet. Well, they just used, I mean, the big difference was they used Exert in a more interesting and creative way in in hour than in Amonkhet. In Amonkhet, it was just make your creature, make your two drop big and unblockable. Yeah. So, oh, look, the format with a bunch of, like, three power unblockable two drops is bad. Like, who would have thought? I remember playing, I think it's called Dune Beetle. It's a two mana one four. Mm-hmm. Just like a fine defensive rate card. Yeah, but it didn't block anything. It, I just realized it just blank. It's yeah. a textless card. Yeah. Not powerful. Um, yeah, Gustwalker was just an unacceptable common to have yeah there were a lot of those it's the war is just so aggressive and there were some random ramp cards that kind of tricked you into mm-hmm. playing the ramp deck but it was always bad because you just died too fast yeah but it got good in hour yeah like if the format slowed down a lot in hour you could play a lot more interaction and you could play greater sandworm yeah you could play greater sandworm yeah sandworm convergence yeah sandworm convergence was great i i got beat by that card a lot and i won a lot with that card like I also I, died with it in my hand a number of times. Like, good design. The, I, it's so weird, too, because that draft format, Amonkhet and Hour, have so many really, really complex mechanics mm-hmm. that are really close to each other and do completely different things. Yeah. Uh, Embalm and, what's it called? Eternalize? Yes. Internalize. I, I know Eternalize is the one that makes it a 4-4. Right. And it's black and... But yeah. doesn't have a mana cost. Yeah. Except for if you make it with, like, the Scarab God, it does have a mana cost. Right. That That is funny <laughs> that it they just didn't have room on the card to make it exactly the same as Eternalizing. It's very unusual. And there's a bunch of, like, the flashback cards all do different things in the graveyard. You have to be really aware of what's in the graveyard and on the battlefield all at the same time. And sure. exert stuff that isn't easy to track. Yeah. It's really complex, which made it really enjoyable for experienced players once Hour came out and everything slowed down. Mm-hmm. Where you could utilize all this resources right but when their main primary audience for arena is like pretty casual players it's like a digital game i'm surprised they're going full ham and just making people play all of the stuff all at once once. yeah i mean the other option though i don't think that rolling out amonkhet and then rolling out hour of devastation like really makes a lot of sense to do so the other option would be to roll out our our amonkhet as a format which is also you know a little bit daunting potentially it's certainly what I would prefer, and a little bit of a bummer. I, also, it would just take less work, right? You I don't have to make a new set. I don't have to. Pre- I don't pretend to know how much work things take. Honestly, I think the remastered set probably takes less work because you don't have to collate different I, boosters and all that nonsense. I mean, maybe. you could just set a random number generator to every card in those two sets and just go for it i guess I, I i can't imagine that that part of the process is that difficult i like you definitely have to program in fewer cards but you had to put the design time in to like choose a full set that sounds like that's true a lot more work you have to cut like 100 cards yeah so i hope we get hooded hydra is that the name of the card? The one that's just Roar of the Worm? Yeah, that is Hooded Hydra. Yeah. I just I think it's really cute that there's just like a backwards Roar of the Worm. Not not even backwards Roar of the Worm, just like one of the halves is an actual creature. Yeah. It's very weird. There were a lot of cool cards. Omnicat's a really cool set. I like um, Vizier of the Menagerie was one of my favorite cards in that mm-hmm. format. Not because it was limited or a limited all-star or anything, but I built so many 
decks in standard with that card just trying to make it be good like it's a green value engine it was a future site for creatures yeah but it also fixed your mana for creatures mm-hmm. which i really thought was a really cool design yeah that was a neat card i mean the way that the standard format became all about who Glorybringer management was yeah a maybe a, a little bit of a miss but but i enjoyed it i liked <laughs> Glorybringer management I guess we didn't really talk about Historic very much here, but... Uh, we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't. We really don't. I think the Sacrifice decks are still pretty powerful. There's a lot of ways to build them, too. Like, you still have Cat and Oven in there as the core, but, like, are you a Blood Artist deck? Are you a... Honestly, like, I, I know that you were, like, down on the idea of the Young Pyromancer decks, but I've seen some Young Pyromancer lists that actually do look pretty good to me overall. Are they Red Black? Yeah, Red Black pyromancer with village rights village rights and innocent blood as your like starting places and then you can fit some more spells in there and i think that with amonkit coming out you're gonna have claim to fame and that's a pretty neat thing to put into a deck like that so okay i i i really like the interaction between young pyromancer and innocent blood or village rights right those are both really good yeah so i could be down for it Especially with Blood Artist. Blood Artist is a big pickup from the anthology cards that I played against last weekend. Mm-hmm. I just, oh wow, this card's an historic. Yeah. And it means that the thing you're doing isn't just getting like, you know, there's a, a thing in Modern Magic where doing cute value stuff, even like pretty efficiently, just like gets haymakered by whatever your opponent's haymaker is. Mm-hmm. But Blood Artist comes in and even though it is like kind of an older design and stuff, it is amazing how much of a difference that makes to your ability to close out the game and not get closed out while you're doing your value stuff. Yeah, it triggered up both players' stuff too, which is unusual for right. new eras right. of magic. When you cast Innocent Blood with a Blood Artist in play, you drain them for two. Yeah. It's, that's actually a lot and adds up really quickly. Especially if you have two Blood Artists in play, you can drain them for four... <laughs> The card sticks around because you can't attack or block with it. Right, it's an O one, <laughs> and and when it dies, you get the you get the drain you get off the trigger of it. too. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a really powerful card. Um, it's one of the best cards in cubes, <laughs> and Mayhem Devil is really good against the Goblin decks. So that is a way that you can you know compete on a relatively even playing field with some of the heavily played decks in the format, some of the powerful decks. So that's probably where I would be interested to start looking especially once you get claim to fame that 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 is pretty exciting to me yeah i'll probably keep playing kethis and historic mm-hmm. if i want to play historic yeah just because there's a lot of different builds it's still a strong deck they banned nothing out of it well teferi's gone right yes but okay sure sure they banned teferi but that was not a deal breaker for yeah. me it's not the core it's good in the deck yeah it was a good it was a legendary card that cycled and stops them from messing with you I find that that almost never came up. Yeah, but it's also, like, Teferi's, like, the anti-hate card that works against, like, pretty much any hate that they're going to play against you because it solves so many different permanent types and solves them interacting on your turn. Yeah. So, like, that's the role that it played, for sure. And maybe you load up on Oath of Kaios or whatever to try and answer the scavenging oozes Mm -hmm. less efficiently. Yeah. Maybe you just go more creature-heavy. Who knows? Yeah. But I'll I'll play around with that. Yeah. And now an hour in, we get to Pioneer. Pioneer, ooh. <laughs> uh, the format, they gutted. They gut every, all of the best decks. I mean, like, very clearly Inverter was the best one, and they just banned Inverter of Truths. I think this is a great ban. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of people wanted Dig Through Time banned, which I can understand because the card's egregious, but you can't continue to let Inverter of Truths exist in the format. 
Because people will not want to play it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, right. If their line has been like, well, Inverter Truce isn't winning that much, so it's fine. But people aren't playing the format. Like, weakening the deck a little bit more isn't enough to make people want to play the format. Yeah. So I think just axing all of the combo decks from the format, just kind of the scorched earth policy of, oh, people are not enjoying Pioneer. We'll we'll shake things up a lot. Yeah. It's a good move. I think so. I don't know if I agree with all of the choices per se, but they do. I agree with the philosophy. I'm pretty bummed to see Walking Ballista go. This is just generally like one of my favorite magic cards and does a lot of fair things in and like patches up holes in decks because it's colorless. It does things that some decks aren't able to do all the time and just is a really nice card and a, a decent design. I think it's one of my favorite cards. It turns on delirium. It yeah. triggers gate to the afterlife. You can right. You <laughs> can cast it for zero in weird decks when that's necessary. And it, you know, it was good at finishing off to fairies when you needed to and that sort of thing. Yep. I, I think the better ban in that situation, because especially you can play with Harden Scales too, which is mm -hmm. a really cool deck. Yeah, it's so it's such a bummer to lose it from the Harden Scales deck, especially since we have access to so many different Harden Scales now. Like you can be green, black, or green, white. Like, and it doesn't feel bad to lose the Walking Ballista when you play against Harden Scales because you know they put in so much work yeah. to make the Walking Ballista good. Yeah, like... Wow, that you paid two mana and that's a three three and like because it's a walking blister that is quite good, but like you really did yeah, it. You to also get there. played two cards previously to basically bank counters on it, right. so you know you deserved it. Yeah, I, I think I would have been Heliod here if you don't want the combo to exist. Mm -hmm. Which if you don't, sure, I, I've been Heliod. I think they didn't, which is the same reason I don't think they banned Uro and Standard. It's because they just want to sell packs. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to take, like, the two mythics that anybody wants out of... Like, what else do you want out of Theros? There's kind of nothing if you take no, those out. Just so. those. Um, but, like Standard, I think this puts Uro pretty clearly into a preeminent position in the Pioneer format. Yeah, it's... You have to you have to be aggressive or grind out value in this format if there are no combo finishes. Those are your only two options. Right. And Uro's really good against both of those things. I think there's a third option, which is Ramp. Nykthos is still legal. Sure. Uh, it's done well in the challenges. It just got Oath of Nyssa, which is a really good card. Mm -hmm. You still get to play Karn the Great Creator if you want to do that. Yep. Uh, I think Mono Green Devotion is still a good choice. Mm -hmm. Because you can just go over the top. Yeah. There's Eldrazi and Ugin. Yeah. You do lose Walking Ballista, which is ironic. <laughs> because <laughs> you were not targeting that deck with your walking blista van but no <laughs> it does get hit by it yeah i mean you'll just need to run more ugins or whatever in that spot and yeah. be a little worse against aggressive decks maybe a couple emeralds now that control can play a bunch of dig through times and counter magic and mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah yeah i mean there will be room now in the format for grindy controlling decks that really couldn't exist i with mean all these combo decks you i mean you were like not better at getting card advantage than the inverter decks that just happened to have a bunch of planeswalkers that were good against you and you couldn't even control the underworld breach deck they right. just underworld breach the card made that so hard i am really glad to go back to the lotus field combo being like a like weird complicated deck that doesn't just like have a button that wins the game like i'm totally fine with a lotus field combo deck existing in this format just Underworld Breach is too powerful. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't play Chicken. I, I thought Underworld Breach was a fine card to leave in the format because the combo deck is is very dredgish. Mm -hmm. 
where you have hate and you're not going to lose to it, or yep. you don't, and you will. It's true. And that's a fine thing to exist if the deck's not too strong, like Dredge often is in Modern. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they want Pioneer to be the format where you have to sculpt your sideboard around specific hate cards for one deck. Yeah. So I think it's just fine to get Underworld Breach out of the format. Especially since Underworld Breach is clearly a card that should never have been printed. Yeah, just boggling that that is. I mean, one thing that we have not talked about is that just the raw number of cards getting banned here. Eight cards banned and two cards suspended in Historic. And this is on top of a lot of bans recently. We have as many cards banned in Standard as have ever been banned in Standard at once. Yep, it's really poor choices from wizards yeah 10 cards banned in standard that's the same amount as during urza's urza block where the banned cards included lotus petal and dream halls and memory jar and talarian academy you know cards that are restricted or banned in legacy yes that are like the best cards to see in your opening hand in vintage in some cases like like just completely egregious designs and it is funny that to see like the standard cards that are banned and they're just like these weird like donkey like oh yeah this card just does everything all at once for me it, it, it's not like obviously Tolarian Academy is broken this just is a land that taps for six mana like wow that is crazy and in in standard the things that are banned are like yep here's Teferi you just stop your opponent from playing the game yep here's Cauldron Familiar wait what but it was oppressive. Yeah. I mean, Familiar might have been okay. Who knows what... I, I think I think the Sacrifice decks would have been quite good. One of, Yeah, I do too. I think one of the things that I don't and do like about WotC is that they will ban cards preemptively, like in a wave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks to the increased number of bans, we've gotten to see their banning philosophy. Yeah. And they will ban just the next best clear deck if its win percentage is high enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also hate that they go off win percentage because it, it doesn't tell anywhere close to the complete story. Yeah. Which is why these pioneer bans happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. All of these decks were completely fine for Watsi's data, but people complained about it. So they went back on their decision to get more people to play the format. Mm-hmm. But they decided to ban Kethis, the Hidden Hand, a card we haven't talked about yet, which was a deck they cited having a too powerful win rate in the two weeks that it's had since Oath of Nyssa was unbanned. Uh-huh. And this was in the middle of the combo format. So obviously the, the format is going to dramatically shift yeah. what exists and what's happening. The win percentage is not going to translate. Yeah, and you just unbanned Oath of Nyssa, which clearly makes Kethis better, and you're not going to see how it pans out when you know all the combo decks are gone and people are just only worried about kethis's interaction yeah i mean i am a little sympathetic because this is like a band-aid rip and when you ban like a bunch of cards at once like the last couple of cards you don't really notice if three weeks from now they did have to ban kethis it'd be like uh another ban but like that like psychological thing doesn't happen if it's just in the big like all of these cards got banned from the format i would I'd be more sympathetic to that if Kethis had been any force in the format ever sure. until this point. Yeah. But because it's honestly a relatively new deck, the last time I played it was when Oko was legal, mm-hmm. which obviously the deck's going to be fine then because you have Oko. In you it. just have four Okos in it, yeah. <laughs> but now that you can... I, I like Kethis existing as a combo deck. I've said this before because 
there's a lot of different angles you can interact with it on. Yeah, especially if, with no Teferi in the deck, a lot of your tools against it work way better. You, you usually still play Teferi. But it's not... Oh, in the the pioneer. Yeah, right. Pioneer. right. I'm I'm confused about which format we're talking. Yeah, we're talking like, about this Kethis is a and pioneer. Multiple format. <laughs> no, yeah, you're, you're you're right. But because you get your like you play to the board, you use your graveyard. I've never beat a scavenging ooze. Right. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> it's too difficult With, without Oko. I just don't do it. I only played Breach while it was legal, even though I really liked Kethis because Breach was just far better, mm-hmm. and it's very heartbreaking to me because i was just gonna play kathos once they made all these bands like yeah. that that was my decision i'm just going to play kathos figure out how to play it yeah and then i just i'm not allowed to because the win rate was too good in the two weeks before they completely shifted the format. when it was playing against three decks that don't exist anymore right yeah or people's homebrews because they just wanted to play pioneer for fun right right yeah so things that seem like they are likely to be good in pioneer I think that I would be really hesitant to move towards an aggro deck because I think most people's, like, go-to thing is going to be to play Uro now because you can grind and not get punished for grinding. It's possible you can do mono-red stuff. Yeah, I mean, one of the big draws to mono-red is that it was good against Breach and pretty good against Inverter. <laughs> like, the, what a, you know, Eidolon isn't really, isn't likely to be a particularly good card anymore. And it's tough burning people out through Uro. And, like, yes, you have some good cards, but I don't know that the matchups are likely to be there. That's fair. I have, I have liked, and this is not really an aggressive deck, but Dredge. Pioneer Dredge. Yeah, the build. I mean, did you see Sodex List? Is this the one with the Silver Smoke Ghouls and the Uros? In the Uros, yes, yeah. I, I mean, it is at its core, it's a very grindy, like, it's not interactive the way that Sultai is, but it is. it just keeps going and going and going. It is a Sultai deck. It's right. a Sultai graveyard deck. You play the graveyard fill cards like Seder Wayfinder, uh, Gather the Pack. Grizzly Salvage. Grizzly Salvage. Yeah. And then you fuel, you dump prized amalgams and Uros into your graveyard and Silver Smoke Ghouls. Mm-hmm. And then you either trigger them with Narc Amoeba or Silver Smoke Ghoul, which you trigger with Creeping Chill or Uro. Yep. <laughs> and it's... I haven't seen it played out yet. I literally saw this deck list today, mm-hmm. but it looks solid. It looks pretty good. Yeah, and it is definitely, it, it's kind of a bummer, but probably also a good thing. Like, the thing that I really wanted to do in Pioneer from its inception was play Smuggler's Copter with Stitcher Supplier. Because, like, crewing a Smuggler's Copter with a Stitcher Supplier is very satisfying, but that was never, it was never good when you could do it, and now you can't do it when it would be good. Yeah, I I would be fine with a Smuggler's Copter unbanned, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think the aggressive decks are going to suffer enough that it might be, like, a thing that would be nice to have. Yeah, I'm willing to hold out on the jury, though every deck I've seen posted for Pioneer has not been an aggressive deck. It's mm-hmm. been some mid-range ramp, or I've seen a bunch of Wilderness Reclamation decks mm. floating around. Oh, yeah, this this is the next format that it takes over. Oh, yeah, over. of course, because yeah. all the combo decks are banned. Yeah. So one of the ones I saw today, and I don't know who made this, it might have been Inspiring Spike. Mm-hmm. It was a blue-green Reclamation Torrential Gearhulk deck. With, with Sublime Epiphany? Yeah, Sublime Epiphany. Sure. So you get to, you know, do the cool Torrential Gearhulk Sublime Epiphany thing. Yeah, so you get to do a... eight things and then bounce your Torrential Gearhulk to your hand. Yeah, and, and you get copy to make a copy of it. Torrential Gearhulk, yeah, yeah. Whew. 
No, that is uh, that is an interaction that I have been hoping to do for sure. Like that's just the greatest instant to flashback with a gear hulk. Oh, for sure. But I don't remember the rest of the deck that clearly, other than it being a wilderness reclamation deck. And you probably have shark typhoons in there because that card's great. Mm-hmm. And some counter spells, but yeah, people will explore wilderness reclamation now that you can do this without inverter being such an oppressive control combo deck. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people end up doing with it, but not to the point where I don't think it'll be that different than standard. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you, It's not like modern where you get to play all these different cards and factor fiction. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just the same cards as standard, plus or minus, you know. I don't know. The Turnjill Gearhulk Sublime of Epiphany is like pretty different from oh, anything that is capable of really doing. really cool. Yeah. But that's not like a reclamation-fueled thing. You don't really want to do that during your instep a lot of the time. <laughs> well, I mean... I think that generally is going to put the game away against a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because nobody's going to combo you out because you're tapped out anymore. And what are they going to do? Get on board against your, like, multiple gear hulks and a bunch of, like, you maybe bounced multiple of their thing. Like, they're not going to be bigger than you after that unless well, they're mono green. Well, hold on there, Chris. No one's going to combo you out because they banned all the combo cards. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I just said. Is they, You're not going to get punished for gear hooking oh, oh, in your own end step because they can't they can't combo you out. It's only mono green, but you're obviously not going to do that against mono green. Yeah, you're just going to hold up the stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, interested to see how it goes. Not looking forward to the evolution of Wilderness Reclamation in another format. No, that's not ideal. Um, and I, I will say that, like, we, oh, we haven't seen any aggro brews. Like, generally... When a format gets a new rotation or a bunch of bands or something, like aggro lists are not the things that the hive mind starts brewing up immediately. Like people don't get really excited to play one drops in the same way that they get excited to play Torrential Gear Hulk plus Sublime Epiphany. Yeah. I, I mean, Winoda is an aggro card. Mm-hmm. I think it would be good in Pioneer. Yeah. Maybe we'll see Luca come back with Fires is still legal in Pioneer. So you can play Luca Fires, Torrential Gerald. Yeah, that, that's just a thing you can do still. Is that the best? I mean, is that the best payoff? For I mean, I guess like Torrential Gerald is like one of the best creatures that you could have in your deck and also Luca into. But I wonder if you don't just want to do agent stuff or whatever. I think you'd probably just want to do agent stuff because if you're Lucaing. In a 60-card deck, because I think Yorion's maybe probably too bad now. Maybe you can, but if you got Fires. The, that three mana is a lot more forgivable. That's true. And maybe you can do that. Shark Typhoon is also still a great card, mm-hmm. which powers up Luka very well. Yeah. And Yorion's good with Agent. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that is a lot of standard cards in our Pioneer deck. I wonder what fills in the cracks. Well, you see, the thing about standard cards is that most that of them have been better banned, than, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> you, you generally want to play the cards from the last two years no, as the primary draw to your eternal legal decks. You're not wrong, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I'm not super excited to play Omen of the Sun or whatever. I would look for replacements yeah, for that. Yeah, of course, we're not trying to play Omen of the Sun. Well, you know, like, it's it's the best token creator that you can blink with yorion <laughs> like like it's like clearly that's the function but your yorions are so much harder to just do like you're, you're it's rarely like oh no i'm a little bit flooded but at least my turn five is pretty good because i have two omens on this yorion like you don't do that anymore so it there's less value to making sure that your early plays are things that can be blinked in that situation you also don't want to be embarrassed by the decks that go big like nivmizit uh five color nivmizit decks mm-hmm. or Oh yeah, five color Nivmiz is probably back to playable now. 
Yeah, it's definitely you can register it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm being caught in the trap of too much bands. I kept thinking Teferi was banned now in that deck too. Right. right. <laughs> just, no, you like, still get to be a Teferi Uro focused deck that just has a giant like card draw engine at the top end and you know, no reason why you can't just do bring to light stuff. You don't get comboed out when you cast bring to light, so Nope. Bring to light for no visit, draw four cards, so much value. Yeah. And I, I think value is gonna be pretty important in this format. Yep. Especially if you want to beat Uro. Yep. Or Torrential Gearhulk. Man, I hope that combo's good. Torrential Gearhulk Sublime Epiphany is going to be pretty good against the Niv-Mizzet decks as long as they can control your Teferis. Yeah. That's True. that's not something those decks are set up to deal with. Huh. Yeah, Pioneer's pretty wide open. I need to see... We're like a day into it right now. Yeah. I, I'd be really interested in seeing what the challenge brings mm-hmm. this weekend. Yeah. And I will say that the uh, the... Not the breachless Lotus Field decks people are playing. Mm-hmm. I know someone posted one that was like fifteen and zero or something. <laughs> they just went back to double casting uh, with Ral Storm Conduit to kill. Okay, yeah. You just double cast your card draw spells like Dig Through Time or Quarter of the Pages to right. get a bunch of cards, then kill them with Expansion Explosion or Ral. Mm-hmm. Some combination of double cast Ral and Expansion Explosion. You just put them together in ways that kill your opponent. Yes, yes. Either you cast a huge explosion or you combo off with Ral's minus and deal infinite damage or whatever. You can also just copy Explosion for 10 sure. with Ral or double cast. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of ways to get to Rome. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that deck. You hate that deck? I don't like it. Really? It's too fragile. Okay. Like I, I like my... That's why I like Kethis, or the old Breach deck, mm-hmm. because you get to play a bunch of cards that are standalone. Not great, but, but function. do something. Yeah. And I don't like Expansion Explosion, and Double Rowl Cast, and or Rowl. Right, right, right. And you're already playing Hidden Strings, and... I mean, so what, well, what do you think about, like, the old version of the Lotus Field deck, the, you know, the Breeze. pre-Breach, where you, like, often ended up wishing for Ugin as your thing? Well, that that is... I like that more because okay. the double cast version doesn't play any Fae of Wishes mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, your your options are way more limited in that deck then. Yeah, and your sideboard is just a bunch of creatures that can't be countered <laughs> because you can't beat a combo deck or a control deck to save your life. <laughs> yeah. For obvious reasons, because you're relying on two cards being put together along with your mana engine. Right. Yeah, you can go back to the Hydroid Crisis version of the deck. Oh, yeah. I... I'm not, like, in love with that deck, right. but it was cool. It's a very, like, workman-like sort of combo deck. Yeah, it's, you, you do your hard day's work mm-hmm. to get your 6-6 six, six Hydroid Crisis if you don't omniscience them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that the deck is neat. It, it was never that great. Maybe it's different now, but nothing's really changed in the format other than, I mean, maybe Uro just existence warps the format to where people are trying to out mid-range each other and maybe you can sneak in and blow to field people oh can i play phoenix in this format no well but <laughs> treasure cruise is the thing I, I know like i bet it like the thing that phoenix needs is for the aggro decks to be good again yeah and, you, you and need so your the prob- shocks to be good right right so the problem is obviously that uro keeps out a lot of the decks that you just have a really easy time of beating so we'll see how the format plays out if the format gets to a place where aggro decks are good then then phoenix is is a really good choice like but, maybe people bring back the lanor elves rabble master decks yeah like if that's a thing then being on wild slashes is 
excellent. But uh, probably not likely to be a thing as long as Uro is a dominant force in the format. So we'll see how that plays out. And I hope that we're all very surprised and Uro is just a card instead of the card in Pioneer. Yeah. I I wouldn't bet against that, but... <laughs> in Pioneer, it does seem like most of the Uro decks... Like, Uro is most often cast alongside of cards that are kind of dedicated towards helping Uro get cast in order to do it early enough for it to, like, be relevant in the format. And that might have been an artifact of the format being more powerful and combo-y, so if you were gonna Uro, you'd better be, like, serious about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe more just, like, I get spells and Uro gets cast eventually and you die to it becomes just, like, a totally reasonable thing. Like, you don't necessarily have to have Seder Wayfinder in, in your deck. Um, Though I do like Seder Wayfinder a lot with Uro. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, a, a good pairing. Yeah, but... But if you don't have to do right. it... Right, like, Wayfinder is not an impressive magic card. <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. I've but, missed on that card every single time. Yeah, <laughs> that's... <laughs> And you've sat next to me a majority oh, of the time. Oh, yeah, I've it. seen that happen a lot. Just the old two-mana one-one. Oh, yeah. Put four cards <laughs> right in the graveyard. No <laughs> it's the uh, bad Stitcher Supplier. It's, yeah, it's the, like, slightly awkward uh, Merfolk Secret Keeper. Yep. I do like Merfolk Secret. Oh, side note. If you, so people are putting Uro in everything in standard. Mm-hmm. If you are playing Teamer Adventures, do not put Uro into your deck. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I've seen it on multiple of my opponents, and it's been atrocious every time there is a way to play uro with adventure creatures but you have to play merfolk seeker keeper if you don't you just don't put cards in your graveyard if you want to play blue green adventures that's fine you only lose escape to the wilds and brazen and bone crusher giant Giant. but you do get to play tamio and uro yep which is nice i've and that deck is really fun to play i've i've really enjoyed it i've milled myself out with it by accident (laughs) oh i like a solid like quarter of my games were milling myself out on purpose and getting jace and winning that way like i miscounted once uh Uh, i don't like to talk about it (laughs) but the uh the mill yourself out wish for jace was a very real part of that deck it was it it operates for sharing so many cards with the teamer adventures deck Mm -hmm. like operates wildly differently yeah it's more of like a pedal the metal engine deck Mm -hmm. where teamer is more kind of a mid-range engine you still have got the pieces but you're really small ball <laughs> yeah yeah I-, I wonder how scavenging ooze's presence makes that version of the deck where you have tamio in it much worse probably a-, a reasonable amount worse yeah but you do dump cards into your graveyard at a fast enough pace and a lot of these scavenging ooze decks are three colors and just don't really have that much green mana so you can just kind of like scavenging ooze does an, a pretty good job of stopping you from casting uro generally it stops you from minus threeing tamio too it does stop you from minus threeing tamio but a lot of times in that deck like that's not necessarily the thing you're trying to do with the tamio you're just trying to like power through your deck so yeah i should give that deck another shot give it a whirl i mean and i i think you, you can, can just play, play some... rail now too if you want yeah Jorel is a card that i am split on like sometimes it's pretty good but and and people have had better experience than i have i i've people have to people run more removal now than past previous standard where you just didn't run any at all and so sometimes it's probably better in like an adventure deck where you have other creatures but like in the teamer sort of controlling uro deck 
It just, like, turned on their Heartless Act and just gave them targets <laughs> for removal that they would never have until it didn't matter anymore. It's... Like, yes, kill my Uro, it's fine. Yeah. So much much better for them to use a removal spell on Jewel Rail than, like, uh, Nissa Land. Yes, yeah. So, I, I haven't been super impressed with it yet, but other people have had better experiences than I have. I, I tried a couple other things in that slot. I tried Scavenging Oozes, which were not great main deck in that kind of deck. It was okay sometimes, but not exactly what you want. I kind of want to just try Paradise Druid and see if that's what you want in that spot. Have you played against any Flash decks? I haven't played against Flash at all yet. I know Jorel is definitely good against the oh, Flash yeah, decks. Oh, yeah, of course that. But I would have expected people to be gung-ho about Flash. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good Flash creatures in Standard right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people really like that deck. And I hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and without Teferi in the format... I mean, right. that's one of the main problems for the deck, and uh, it's generally good against these super greedy, like, all four and five mana Yeah, you're not going to beat Sultai with Flash. Or, see, the other way around. Yeah, you're never <laughs> going to beat Flash with Sultai. Yeah, yeah absolutely not. Um, although, sometimes Uro just, like, you know, if you do the, like, trade card for card, card for card, card for card, mm-hmm. and bring Uro back, oh, crap. Like, yeah. sometimes sometimes Flash just loses to that. But that requires a certain amount of spells that you can cast before turn four in order to make that happen. Nightbook Ambusher is quite the clock. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so anyways. Those are the formats. <laughs> yep, those are the formats. Ready to cast Uro in most of them. The ones they haven't banned them in, which is, oh, all of them. Oh, yeah, all of them. I, I believe that some Uro bans are coming at some point. The card is... <sighs> so many of my games that i play just revolved around euros on on each side and it just is defining for the format in a bunch of ways and you know like i said before it's just good and it's good against everything that that's not where you want to yeah end it up. needs that's to not have good a card to design it needs to have a weakness yeah and if the weakness is like they drew their scavenging use so they get it after i drew a card off of it it's like okay and, and game three life yeah Ooh. Well, hopefully Standard's just in a great place and Uro's just not a problem. Hopefully. <laughs> We've got, what, a year for we, another we got Uro? A, we got a lot of Uro coming. I'm sure. I'm sure it won't be a problem. <laughs> we'll we'll look back at this podcast three months from now, and then six months from now when they don't ban it, <laughs> and say, we knew Uro was fine yeah, the whole time. It's a lot of confidence. Should we do a quick Patreon question? Yeah, Kyle had a really good one, but it might be very long for uh, what we've already done, because we're we're in a long one, aren't we? I actually have a kind of short answer to this question. Oh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can do it. Um, so you want to read it? Oh, yeah, I'll read it. All right, so we've got a Patreon question from Kyle in the Discord, and he says, What do I need to do to get better at magic? I read articles, I play meta decks, I subscribe to Patreons, I've tried coaching. I don't have anyone to play test against. I don't have time to play hundreds of games and multiple leagues. Don't have any friends who are pros. What do I need to do? Um, and I think that my answer to this question is not necessarily what, not necessarily an answer that Kyle is going to like or even necessarily accept. And you don't have to accept this answer. But this is a thing that I had to kind of realize for myself is. You know, I am a solidly medium tier magic player. When I put in a bunch of time with a deck that I like, I can get to pretty decent with it. And I am a threat in 
some of the tournaments I play in, and I'm not a threat in some of the tournaments I play in. I am never going to be qualified for Worlds. I'm not going to be in the MPL. And I just kind of realized that, and you have to... I think this is less of a how do I get better question and more of a what are my goals and are my goals realistic question. Okay. And I mean, so that you you get your answer in kind of two ways. Like number one is getting better at magic involves setting those goals in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think process-based goals are, are the better ones. Like, yeah, you can't play hundreds of games in multiple leagues, but you can figure out how much time you do have and want to spend on magic and actually spend that time. If you have time to play a league each day and getting better at magic in that way is something that you want to do, then, you know, actually dedicate that time and and do it. But also, like, you know, understand that there aren't shortcuts here. And I think that there is a lot to what a lot of players have said, which is basically like being excellent at magic, like being top tier at magic is not a do it in the afternoons thing. It's like a dedicating 60 plus hours a week to it sort of thing. You know, I can't do that and I'm not going to. And it's just not feasible for me to play at the level that PV is playing at. Like, I just can't. Yeah, I I get that. I feel similarly but that's so when i want to improve i do it with specific practice Mm -hmm. so i will uh here's an example i wanted to play the scg invitational with death shadow in i think late 2017 or something like Grixis Death Shadow, right when it was really popular, it was like clearly the best deck. We were yeah, talking won a about couple it. of GPUs. We yeah. were talking about it like maybe getting banned. Mm-hmm. This was the discussion at the time, so I'm like, oh, okay, this deck's very clearly good. I don't really know what I should play in modern, so I'll just spend time learning Death Shadow. Mm-hmm. I was working full time. I don't. I didn't have a lot of time to do that. So what I would do was, I got the deck from Mana Traders. I just rented it. And then I had a notebook, and I played some leagues, and every time I made a misplay or something I wasn't sure about, I wrote it down, mm-hmm. maybe I rewatched the game, mm-hmm. uh, and tried to explicitly write down what I did, why, who I was playing against, just everything I could think of. And I would do that for, I played several leagues, as many as I could in the time frame I had. Mm-hmm. Very intentional practice to see how I could improve, because that's the kind of deck that I am just very... I don't click with. Mm. Th- those mid-range, like, Death Shadow decks... Like these decks, yeah. yeah. they're not they're not my jam. Mm-hmm. But I knew the deck was very good, and I wanted to play it. So I devoted a lot of time to trying to do it to do better. And it didn't end up paying off. I just didn't have enough time to overcome... I didn't give myself enough time to overcome the barrier of me just being completely unfamiliar mm-hmm. <laughs> with everything in that deck. Sure. Which is a failing where, but I did like the way that I did my practice. Cause I, I knew what I wanted out right. of it. You, you approached it rather than like, so there's, 
there's training and then there's practice. If you're doing a sport and you're just trying to learn how to, or you're just trying to get better at like running this distance or doing this, doing this move or doing this technique, you just do that thing a bunch of times and you will get better. But magic is different because it's a brain thing. When you're like, like when you're trying to learn how to like write for a test or something like that, you don't just like answer questions over and over and over again and then not like go back and like the thing that you have to do then is go back and see what the right answers are and how like you have to study mm-hmm. not just practice and so i i do like your approach there because you're you're not just like doing it you have to think about it and one of the uh, yeah and i i actually i still have the book somewhere mm-hmm. with all my notes and it's interesting to go back whenever i find it and i'm like oh Man, I was really not good with the stack. I made so many mistakes because I wrote them all down. Yeah. And not just mistakes, too. It was things I was just not sure about. And mm-hmm. I would ask Dylan, Don again, just like, what do I do here? What would you do here? Because he was so much better at those decks than I am. Yeah. Uh, and he would, you know, tell me and we'd talk about it. Uh, and now that is, you know, an advantage that you have that Kyle yeah. doesn't have. He doesn't have somebody who's won an invitational and has played Thoughtseize type, like uh, has played hundreds of hours of Death Shadow to ask about Death Shadow. Yeah, and that's it's, it's definitely an advantage to have someone. But one of the good things about Magic community, I think, mm-hmm. is that if you find someone who does specialize in a format or a deck, they'll usually be pretty open to giving their thoughts, even if you're a stranger. You just reach on Twitter. A lot of the times especially if people are creating content they want to engage. Mm-hmm. So that's useful, something I haven't done very much recently, but I've definitely done it in the past. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say something before that. Oh, 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 because I didn't give myself enough time in that, like I was still working. So I played like, I think a weekend or two weekends maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't have enough time to overcome everything I did. So it was poor. And I could have anticipated that by giving myself, you know, an extra month or two. Because I knew I was going to play Death Shadow way far in advance of the tournament. Yeah. I just didn't think... I I overestimated my own ability to learn it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the hardest decks in all of Magic history is, like, given the format you were playing it in and stuff, like, one of the most difficult decks ever to play. And I immediately played four mirrors (laughs) in the first four rounds of Modern. Really hard, too. Yes. (laughs) Because it was the deck at the time. Right. Oh, yeah, I picked it up for, like, a, a classic and just only played Mirrors until I was out of the tournament, so. Yeah, I think that part of goal setting as well is, so there's a couple of ways to approach, like, I want to be a good Magic player, and the platonic ideal, certainly, is never be afraid of any deck, like, branch out even to decks that you're not comfortable with so that, later, you know, in the future when it's the right choice, you'll be able to adjust to that. I don't know that that's a realistic thing for everyone to do. Like, I don't believe... Like, there's so many different types of decks that you can play in Modern. And I think that, you know, for me and for the time that I have to put into it and for my goals ultimately in Magic, I don't need to leave myself open to playing every single type of deck in the format. Like, I probably will never register Death Shadow in another tournament ever again. I think that is a part of modern magic that I just am pretty comfortable not spending the time on. And I think that's okay. And you can take that a little farther. And I think it actually is like pretty okay to be a specialist. And I I don't think that like, yes, maybe it keeps you from being PVDDR, but 
it may be the way that you become the best magic player that given your time constraints and, you know, community constraints and stuff like that, you make a, make a couple of friends who are very good with one type of deck and you talk about playing that type of deck a lot and you get as good as you possibly can be at playing blue counter spell decks in modern or whatever. And you can be really good and have a lot of success specializing like that. Yeah, so I think I would definitely set your goal to where you want to be for like me personally i've always viewed magic as like a a fun hobby Mm -hmm. one of my huge mistakes in i'll okay so (laughs) i in 2011 ish i went to nationals i ended up top eighting that tournament with firemancer ascension Mm -hmm. one of my favorite decks of all time yeah and then i just thought i was the the best player ever. Because, you know, I just top eight at Nationals. Mm-hmm. I had not played in a PTQ before I went to Nationals. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just kind of qualified out of the blue mm-hmm. from right, regionals. I was... Right, right, right. Yeah, because you could still play in regionals at that point, and I've just qualified you for mm-hmm. uh, the next one, the, the Nationals. And I ended up doing really well in Nationals, mostly, off, honestly, due to the back of my limited record. Mm-hmm. I did really... I went undefeated in limited. <laughs> and... I, I thought I was hot shit after I top eight the tournament. <laughs> I was the best. There was an SCG immediately the next weekend in Richmond, which is so close to home. It's only two hours away. Mm-hmm. Three hours, really. Yeah. But <laughs> no, It's an easy drive. Yeah. It's a very simple drive. So I took the train, the car, right up to <laughs> Richmond. Very confident I was just going to top eight again. Just crush it. I'm the best ever. You know, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I O2'd the standard event. <laughs> Playing the exact same 75 I had just top 8 with the previous weekend. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, all right, it feels kind of bad to think you're hot shit and then just lose a bunch. <laughs> I liked it a lot better last weekend when I was playing Nationals for fun because I qualified for it without just intending to. just happened to be winning, yes. And I was just winning, yeah. having fun. And that's when I decided, I'm just going to play Magic for fun Mm -hmm. i want to win because that's very enjoyable but for the most part i have played decks that i really enjoy playing in tournaments that don't mean a whole lot to me like i'll play in ptqs i'll play in iqs i really like playing those events especially locally Mm -hmm. but it's i don't spend a lot of time making sure i win these it's more important for me to play games of magic than to win them Mm -hmm. And that was one of the mistakes I made, probably the bigger mistake I made when I was preparing the, the Death Shadow stuff. Mm-hmm. I was too focused on trying to do well in the event than having fun in it. Sure. And I did not enjoy playing Death Shadow at all. I will never register a deck again. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, just don't play decks that you're not having fun with, I think. You know, there's different philosophies about Magic the Gathering, but this is a pretty firm one for me. Like, I I made this mistake when I registered Vengevine for a tournament. And Crabvine? played it, Crabvine, and I was just miserable the whole time. And even when I won, it just, like, I just was not happy. And then, you know, I played a side event with a silly standard deck that I liked playing, and it was, like, way more fun. And I didn't win any more, but I enjoyed myself a lot more. And you'll play better, and you will be happier at the end of the day, I think. Yeah, so I guess the question we've got off. Oh, yeah. Uh, several topics. This is a magic philosophy question. But so. basically, the answer is figure out what you want in magic and work towards your own stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, easy way. 
Yeah, your goal can't be I want to be better at magic. That's too vague. It's yeah, you you're just gonna get frustrated trying to get to that point. Also, there's no way to measure how good you are at magic. No. <laughs> Tournament results is a very poor way to measure how good you are at magic. Yeah, for sure. I think PV has this record where he's essentially only ever been platinum or silver. He's never been gold. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy because you would assume that at worst, yeah, right, right. Right, at worst, PV is just a gold class player. Right. But Turner, Magic is a game with a lot of variants. Yep. You just can't take tournament results that as a true test of your character yeah. or your skill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and I think setting shorter term goals and I think generally process-based things, and I do like your answer about, you know, Make sure that you're studying it and not just playing it is is really important. Watching replays is like painful and it's an extra step that you don't necessarily want to do. And on Arena, you can't even do it without setting up your own recording or something like that. But study is how you get better at things. You can't like I'm I'm working on I, I do a lot of writing. I would not get better at writing just by setting aside two hours a day and going and writing for two hours. I read novels and short stories so I can see what other good writers do. And I, the more I write and then the more I read, the more I realize instead of it's just like, oh, character A does this and character B does that. You, you can incorporate yeah, more of the stuff you've learned. Right. And you, you, you understand like what the author is doing because you're sort of like trying to look under the like hood. what is happening. Yeah. You're trying to look under the hood. And so I, I'm not just writing, I'm reading stories, I'm reading certain authors' books about their writing process and, and what they think is good, good writing and how to write. And there's a lot of steps that are way beyond just doing it over and over because you need to correct what you're doing wrong. So, so long, complicated answer for uh, a, a very good and complicated difficult question that yeah. gets kind of at the heart of like what are we doing here right and I, I i'll admit i'm kind of insulated from this because i have set aside my desire to be like an incredibly good magic player because i realized that my skills lie mostly within like looking at the game and talking about it and i'm like pretty happy with being a person who does that so it's a little less personal to me to to answer this question i don't feel like the pain of not getting that not becoming an all-star player I, I certainly have empathy for it but i don't have that personal like yeah it hurts so much i i feel the same way like i i never really take stock of how good or bad i am mm -hmm. because whenever i think i'm better than someone else i just start dismissing what they're doing and i really don't like doing that sure so i've just been i i just try to be more or less humble not really think about things <laughs> so I, what I want to try to do to get better, I do it specifically, yeah. like I described. Yep, makes sense. Whew. All right. <laughs> this is a long episode. Yeah. Longest we, one yet. Yeah, and we've mostly had pretty long episodes so far, so. Perfect. <laughs> Great. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come hang out in the Discord. Come chill for our weekly hangouts and uh watch us record live we'll probably be getting back on twitch at some point but gotta figure out what channel to do it on and that sort of thing mm -hmm. if 
you would like to support our broadcasting efforts. Uh, we have the Manitraders Legacy Tournament coming up at the end of August. The uh, qualifier period starts August 10th, so if you want to play in it, go ahead and sign up for that. And if you do not have a Manitraders account yet, and you want to, which you need for full prize support for the tournament, and you need to sign up before August 10th, uh, go to Manitraders to sign up, and if you just use the code TOURNAMENT, then that is our referral code. Uh, we get a little bit of a kickback from that, and it is the best referral code around. It's yeah, it's got than, the most discounts. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think, 25% for three months or something. I think that is what it is. But it, it's the best one that you can uh, get. Yes. So if you don't have Manitraders, use the code TOURNAMENT, and, and that'll give you the best deal. Yeah, but thanks for hanging out. Really appreciate it. And have a great week. Bye.